This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. I'm Adam Cano, and joining me today to discuss press freedom is John Donnelly. He is chair of the National Press Club's Press Freedom Team and a journalist at CQ Roll Call. John, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Next Monday, May 3rd, is World Press Freedom Day. Before we get into how the National Press Club will be marking it, can you talk a little more about the event in general? Yeah, World Press Freedom Day is actually 30 years old on, on this Monday, May 3rd. And it's under it's under the auspices of the United Nations UNESCO. Uh, there's an there's an annual conference, and then there's regional conferences, and it's just you know it it, it basically occurs mainly on social media now. Um, it's a reminder to governments uh, of the importance of information. Information is a public good is the slogan this year. It's a day of reflection for those of us in the press and an opportunity to spotlight cases where uh, journalists are under assault. So it's all those things. And not surprisingly, this year's event uh, is, is largely virtual, but that doesn't mean that the press club is any less focused on press freedom and the cases of, of three journalists in particular that we're uh, focusing on for this event. Yeah, so let's start first with Austin Tice. Okay, well, um, Austin Tice, for those who may not recall or know, uh, is being held captive in Syria right now. He was a freelance journalist. He did work for McClatchy and other news organizations uh, and photographer. He was a Georgetown University law student and a former Marine who just went to Syria to help cover the uh, crisis there. And in 2012, he went missing and he's been missing since. Uh, he's a, a, a young man from Texas. He was 31 at the time of his disappearance. Uh, and the press club has been campaigning tireless, tirelessly to keep the spotlight on his case and keep the pressure on uh, authorities here and in Syria to try to do something about it and try to bring him home, uh, including, for example, uh, uh, letters to members of Congress and to the president, uh, including uh, just uh, a few weeks back. Uh, we sent uh, letters to 80, 80, law, 80 lawmakers uh, uh, signed a letter uh, and 1,600 citizens. Now, uh, on Monday, May 3rd, the press club uh, president, Lisa Matthews, is doing an interview. It's an interesting um, new approach to the issue, an interview with um, Austin's 11-year-old niece, Maya, to get her recollections of him and what she's been doing to help uh, uh, free Austin Tice, and that's the hashtag. It's hashtag free Austin Tice. Sometimes we talk about these uh, these cases as if they're abstractions, but they're they're real people with families. And uh, and hopefully our interview with Young Maya will help bring that to the fore. Another name, one that a lot of journalists will recognize, Maria Reza. Uh, tell us about her plight. Austin Tice is a winner of one of our John Obishan uh, Press Freedom Awards, which we give every year. And so is Maria Ressa. Um, we uh, gave her uh, the honor uh, last year. She uh, is a uh, Princeton-educated uh, journalist uh, um, who worked, worked for CNN in the Philippines. 
And now she's the CEO and co-founder of Rappler, which is a news organization in the Philippines. And her situation is that she has been under constant legal harassment by the uh, Philippine president, Rodrigo Duterte, because uh, she has been covering him so, uh, so relentlessly. She was convicted in 2020 of something called cyber libel, which is a, a, a phony charge. And she's giving a speech that is going to be um, webcast uh, on the Press Club site um, on May 3rd. So her case is one that has been uh, very much in the news and, and uh, she continues to, uh, to face uh, you know, nothing but grief from uh, the Philippine president. And the third name, another one that sadly has become very familiar to many of us, Emilio Gutierrez Soto. Yes, Emilio Gutierrez Soto is a journalist from Mexico, and uh, he sought refuge in the United States in 2008. He had been covering the drug cartels and corruption in the Mexican military, and they didn't take very kindly to that. They raided his home uh, on the on the phony uh, uh, pretext of uh, a drug raid and seized his documents, and he saw that he had no choice but to flee for his life. Um, Mexico is one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a journalist. And so in 2008, he legally entered the United States and sought a, asylum. And 13 years later, he's still caught in a kind of Kafka-esque labyrinthine legal limbo. And uh, we have been uh, by his side, as it were, uh, pretty much since he got here. Uh, trying to help him out. He's been denied asylum. He has appealed that decision, and that case is still pending. But 13 years, and, and this is somebody who was, his life was clearly, he's clearly a journalist. His life was clearly in danger, and he has something to contribute here in the United States, too. He's actually a, um, a, a he has been a fellow at the University of Michigan uh, uh, in journalism. And, uh, you know, I, we're doing a, uh, a, a podcast interview where I am moderating a discussion involving uh, Lynette Clementson, Clementson, who runs the, uh, uh, the um, uh, journalism center there in the University of Michigan, and also Kathy Kiley, who was a Press Freedom Fellow at the National Press Club Journalism Institute. Now she's a professor at the University of Missouri. Those two women have been, uh, I would say, uh, Emilio's biggest advocates, and along with some some other folks uh, at the press club. Um, and uh, so we got to talk about his case and get into just the the out, one outrage after another. You know, and one of the takeaways is if if somebody like like Emilio, who has the support of multiple journalism organizations, who's a fellow at the University of Michigan, has, you know, he has a legal representation. If he has to go through 13 years of legal hell, imagine what happens to somebody who has far less, uh, you know, uh, help. Um, and there's plenty of people like that. So it's, a, it's an example of how the immigration system messed up, too. Yeah. And I think back to the case of uh, Jason Rezaian a number of years ago, where the National Press Club was very involved. In fact, uh, I, I remember taking part in a 24-hour reading of his work to help bring his case to light uh, and his uh, uh, illegal detention in Iran. Um, these are all individual cases. And as you said, these are all people with with friends and family and, and not just you know names on a piece of paper. Um, 
anyone else at this point that you wanted to highlight? Those are the three people that we are going to be talking about on um, on, on on Monday. Uh, I would also bring up the case of Asif Sultan, who's another winner of our Obishan, uh honor. Uh, uh, I hate to call it an award. Um, it's a recognition of people who have done their jobs in the face of extreme adversity. Asif Sultan uh, has been uh, jailed since 2018 in Kashmir um, as part of a, a crackdown there. And uh, he remains uh, uh, incarcerated. And that is a particularly outrageous case, too. Um, and of course, you know, uh, the case of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, the uh, Washington Post columnist from Saudi Arabia who was killed by Saudi uh, thugs uh, at a consulate in Turkey we have continued to repeatedly spotlight uh, that case. So there are others um, uh, that, that maybe will come up as we talk here this morning. Yeah, sadly, a lot of, a lot of names and, and, and in a lot of cases, high profile, um, especially uh, Khashoggi. Um, any, any way to quantify the level of uh, reduced press freedom that you know, seems to be occurring uh, in a lot of parts of the world and not just places where one might, you know, normally expect to see it? Yeah, that's a, that's a, an important question. Um, <clears throat> because yes, you see it, you see press repression, <clears throat> excuse me, in China and Iran and Russia and places like that. But you also see it <clears throat> in places like Germany, um, where reporters are, uh, have been physically attacked. Um, and, you know, Poland and Hungary, uh, uh, countries that after the Cold War, after the, after the, the, uh, the, the wall fell, we all uh, were hopeful would become, you know, uh, f- uh, free enterprise, democratic uh, systems. But now Poland and Hungary are, are, pl- are autocratic regimes where uh, free press is being uh, snuffed out left and right. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of bad news going on in terms of that, um, the situation for press freedom around the world. The Reporters Without Borders organization does an annual survey of world press freedom. And they, their most recent one, uh, says that the situation is the worst it's been since 2013. In 73 of 180 countries, the press is either totally blocked or seriously impeded by their by their standards. In 59 of their countries, the press is constrained. So 73% of the countries um, that they've looked at are are in press freedom situations that are far from ideal. Um, And and that's not good. The coronavirus um, has been used as an excuse to uh, crack down on reporters. Um, and just like t- uh, after 9-11, terrorism was used by governments as an excuse to, uh, to crack down on coverage that they didn't like. Um, and here's another statistic that I, that I find particularly worrisome. Um, 59% of respondents in a recent poll in 28 countries said that they believe that journalists lie, basically. Um, 59% of respondents. That's not good. So you know, there is plenty to be alarmed about and all the more reason for organizations like the National Press Club to keep the spotlight on overall trends and the individual people like we've been talking about here today, who's, you know, kind of put a face on the problem. 
And I want to talk about uh, fake news and all of that in a, in a little bit. Um, and at the risk of, of, you know, making this somewhat personal, you've not only called out improper behavior towards the press, but in fact, you yourself were unjustifiably manhandled by some guards at the Federal Communications Commission four years ago. Um, seems like ancient history now, but tell us about that. I don't usually cover the FCC, and I guess they weren't, uh, they didn't know who I was, but that was not a very good excuse for doing what they did. I tried to ask a question of a commissioner, and he walked past and didn't answer it, but I guess they didn't like that I asked the question, and they backed me up against the wall very forcefully, um, and then they, they forced me to leave the premises. And uh, they later said in a letter to senators that I had been trying to access secure, uh, secure uh, areas, which was completely false or a, a misreading at best. I was, you know, I, at one point I turned in the wrong direction, but I was qu quickly corrected. But there was no, you know, no reason to believe that I was doing anything sinister there. And I just think it was kind of a couple of out of control kind of mall cop types um, who just, you know, overreacted. But, you know, it, it happens all the time. There's a stat that in 2020, 400 journalists, at least 400 journalists were attacked in the United States, physically attacked. And, and there were 137 arrests uh, of journalists. And so, and that's in America in one year. Um, and so it happens far, far too often. Very closely related to that, just yesterday, the National Press Club uh, joined a number of other media-related organizations in urging Attorney General Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice to investigate the use of force against journalists, uh, specifically in Louisville and Minneapolis, as potential civil rights abuses. Remind us what happened there and when, and plus what's really at stake here. Those cities, among others, have a pretty bad track record uh, when it comes to dealing with uh protesters and with reporters covering protests. Of the 137 arrests in 2020 that I mentioned, 20 were in Minneapolis and three were in Louisville. There was a recently, uh, just about a week or two ago, after uh, the fatal police shooting of Dante Wright, um, there were several reporters that were either beaten or arrested or uh, sprayed with chemical irritants. Um, so much so that the press club and others issued statements about it. Again, these are cases where people identify themselves as journalists who are clearly recognizable as journalists, and yet they're still, um, they're still attacked. Um, one of our recent um, Obershawn winners is a woman named Linda Tirado, who lost vision in one of her eyes because she was hit by a policeman's rubber bullet during the George Floyd protests in 2020 in Minneapolis. In 2008, I was there at the Republican convention uh, in the Twin Cities, and I saw how the police uh, acted there. And they didn't make any distinctions between peaceful protesters, violent protesters, reporters, they penned everybody up and they treated everybody with the same batons and, and sprays. And so what we're saying this week, along with 90 plus other media organizations, is, uh, hey, if you're probing civil rights abuses in those police departments, we hope and expect that you will take a look at how they're treating journalists who are, after all, 
it's worth repeating, performing their jobs and performing a constitutionally protected duty to inform the American people. It's ironic that while the media are trying to cover issues of civil rights, the most basic civil right is being violated. Exactly, exactly. These attacks, uh, real and, 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 and online, on journalists just seem to continue here and abroad. I understand that there are allegations uh, coming out of China, uh, for example, that, uh, that that government went so far as to create a fake French journalist as a cover for state propaganda, I believe related to generating some, some coverage that was positive about China's involvement with its Uyghur community uh, compared to the uh, very harsh Western criticism. Um, what does it say when we've come to a point where fake news isn't bad enough, we need to have fake journalists too? Well, that's well said. And uh, that case is particularly egregious and it illustrates the, the lengths or the depths that autocratic regimes will go to. Um, you know, and we are entering an era where you know, we have uh, fake videos um, and, and fake voice uh, uh, technology. Uh, we, we see obviously every day computer troll, um, controls on Twitter, excuse me, not controls, but trolls on Twitter. Um, people whose identity is you know, hard to determine, um, but lots of these people are just, you know, um, created in factories <laughs> in Russia, basically, <clears throat> and and they are having an influence um, on our on our domestic debates. And um, it's it seems like they have helped. They're not the sole cause, but they've helped uh, divide Americans from each other. That's kind of their objective. But yeah, it's part of a it's part of a larger trend of um, you know. Uh, uh, falsehood and, and, and lies and corruption uh, and, and, and the recognition that, you know, truth is the enemy of, uh, of some of these despots. And so they go after it with every tool in their kit. Yeah. And add that on top of the economic pressures that journalism was under well before the, the pandemic or the previous presidential administration or anything else. And it's certainly been a, a challenging place uh, for, for the truth to come out try to end on a positive note for listeners of this podcast who, who want to help do the right thing. What does that behavior look like now in, in terms of trying to help rebuild the, the state of truth? It's such a hard question. And I don't think it's one that's going to be answered simply or quickly uh, because I think we're in a, a, a world of hurt. Um, I wish I could, I wish I could end it on a positive note, but we see that, you know, um, I mentioned the statistic of people who mistrust the press um, uh, you, you have misunderstanding of the role of the media. People don't really get that, that journalists are, for the most part, interested in, in providing as objective information as possible. And that it's not helped when you have news organizations that are ideological, they are, that are dedicated to slanting the news, like Fox News and MSNBC. Um, and um, so... You know, it's 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 getting bad, and um, and it's not going to be like some kind of silver bullet that solves it. I don't think. It's just we we as reporters, it's incumbent on us to do our jobs even better because uh, you know every misstep we have can be pointed to and can help the those who are trying to undermine uh, journalism. And that was really, you know, uh, Donald Trump's uh, objective was to was to question 
not just journalists, but all as uh, as uh, Marty Baron, the former editor of the Post, put it, all independent arbiters of objective fact, right? Scientists, judges, journalists, the people that traditionally Americans turn to 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 get the you know the straight uh, the straight dope on things. Uh, uh, he systematically went about uh, questioning them, and a lot of people you know for that went along with his argument. So, I mean, I think, you know, the answer to your question is we have to keep doing our jobs and do the, do it even better than before. Um, we have to help educate the American public and the global uh, citizenry about the role of journalism. And we have to push back against uh, regimes, uh, you know, dictators and even in, here in the United States, democratically elected politicians who, uh, you know, do not have the public's interest at heart. And finally, we need to keep the spotlight on some of these individual cases uh, because that helps humanize and uh, draw attention to the overall problem. Yeah, I think all of that comes down to, to rigor and determination, right? I mean, there is no easy solution, but you need both of those things to, uh, to get there. John, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. John Donnelly is chair of the National Press Club's Press Freedom Team. You can learn more about World Press Freedom Day at press.org. Click on Upcoming Club Events under the Calendar tab. I'm Adam Cano. Thanks again for listening. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One.